uh, Rick Madison, Rick and Friends, and uh, today we have a fellow that you probably know the name of, and uh, he's an outgoing counselor. So uh, welcome to the big show, Ryan Don. Thanks, Rick. Appreciate the invite. So I got I gotta say, uh, wow, uh, that was that was kind of a an interesting announcement. I think I saw it on LinkedIn or right. whatever it was, but it, it must have you know it must have been taking you a long time to arrive at that decision. Yeah, I, I would say. Even during the, so during the election last time, my wife sent me a text going, "I wish I hadn't said you would run. <laughs> you could run." <laughs> and so I was like, "So really, I would say it started. The conversation started in our family two weeks into the last election. Now other stuff happened. COVID happened, but essentially, uh, council's pretty consuming of your mind, your time, your attention. And I think uh, as it should be, as it should. Like you philosophically, you're debating how you should use your leverage and, and influence to nudge the city forward different directions. And yeah, I would say I toss and turn literally for every day of the term. Like, you, you, if you were having a beer with me, it would have been like, oh, I'm still not sure what I'm going to do. I, I flushed out uh, probably about three months ago. Okay, here's what it looked like if it runs. And then here's what it looked like if I didn't run. And then I was at FCM. I was talking to Mayor Lisa Helps. And she's like, it really sounds like you don't want to run. I'm like, I think you're right. So it was kind of like just because you flushed out with other politicians that were stepping down or just keeping going. So, yeah, it took a long time to get there because it's a beautiful position to be in the community if you love your community. Uh, and uh, I'm going to miss it. I know that, but I just really have to choose to focus on my family and uh, and friends kind of thing and maybe lifestyle for the next few years until my kids are out of the house, and then we'll see what happens after that. So your, your daughter uh, produces or, or plays music, and so I would imagine that takes up some time too. Yeah, so i got two girls, uh, 12 and 14. One's into the horse world, and one's into the volleyball and music world. So, yeah, I'm kind of trying to get her back out to do busking again kind of thing and performing. We've got a gig together in August that I accepted because I was stepping down, so I was like, oh. We'll have time to practice. Like around the house, we're just so everybody does it. If you've got two teenage daughters in the house, your your world is driving. So my joke is, I'm quitting so I can drive my kids around more, and they'll be so done with my opinions, they'll be wishing I was on council about six months in. <laughs> so how people may not know this, but but what is the uh, the if you were to guesstimate how many hours per week, and and we're even talking mental real estate. Uh, how many hours per week are you putting in as a counselor? Uh, I've got my answer, but it doesn't include the mental real estate. So let me give you the answer I've given everybody. So the minimum is about 15. So if you're doing the bare bones minimum, like reading, just like skimming over the executive summaries, getting ready for the meeting, taking the emails, glancing at the emails you're getting because you're getting up to 10 or 20 emails a day on that on topics, going to the meetings and then the public hearings and going to your committees, you're 15 hours at a minimum. During the pandemic, that maybe dropped like 13 at the lowest, and then you kind of go up to 30. Um, but what I would say is if you love the job and love your community, every hour you spend after about 20, you get more influence and more impact on your community. So it becomes a little addictive to spend 30 to 40 hours sometimes because if you go and meet with the leader of the opposition or, hey, this MLA is in town or, hey, you go to this conference you get to nudge things you're passionate about forward. If you meet with people for a coffee and understand their perspective. So it, the more time you spend, the more effective you get. And right. and so you end up, I think it was term one, I was like, by the third year, I was like at least 30 hours. And it's like, hey, you need to balance this out a bit. So trying to find that balance is kind of key. And each person has their own uh, day job as well, or maybe not, but most have their full-time day jobs. So it's balancing out, out those two realities of you got a full-time 35, 40-hour job, plus council, which, so you're basically early 60 hours a week between both. Interesting. Okay. So, and, and when you look at uh, probably the, the pay, you are making less than minimum wage. 
Yeah, so I would say that nobody does it for the pay, but once you're in, you kind of wish it was a little bit more. So we set it up in Kelowna. We're actually quite, uh, I'm going to use the word underpaid. Um, we set it up so that rich, affluent folks that are ready to, ready to retire would, can get the job. Anybody that's a single parent, that job will never work for them. Right. And so we have a bit of in- inequity caused by how we structure it. It's, it's done because that's how Kelowna wants it. And we've got there because it was set up that way. It wasn't meant to be a full-time income. And the debate always is, oh, should we be full-time? But the reality is the job is almost full-time and if you want somebody to do a good job which everybody that calls a counselor wants somebody to be responsive with long responses articulate answers kind of thing as i was getting towards the end of my term i was like i am not giving long answers i am not being as patient with people because the time doesn't allow for it as you try to balance out that you know difference between 15 to 30 hours so um yeah it's, uh, you know it's a very uh it's not about the money but the money is going to have an impact as to who runs on every election. So now that you've arrived at this place, um, just tell me what, what the reaction of your family was when you first told them I'm not running. So they're kind of surprised because they were like, ah, we know we want you to, but we figured you'd just go again. <laughs> My wife was great. She kept it, other than the text sent last election, as we mentioned, uh, she didn't give an opinion. She kind of held back. She's like, look, you need to make the decision for you, and then we'll move on from there. So the reaction, I think, was quite surprised from people because I, I think people assume, oh, you're in this position of influence and, and, and you get to be at that table. Why would you ever say no? And so I think they're just on the reality of the balance of it was why I made my decision. But so a lot of people were surprised that I hadn't actually told ahead of time. And, uh, and also, <laughs> it's always better to quit in politics and get some uh, thanks for your service versus uh, <laughs> getting hey, ousted. I'm going to I'm going to run for election. Man, you really sucked at not doing that. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I was shocked because I was I sent the uh, did the Facebook post and Instagram post. And I was like, oh positives oh right that's a much better choice than <laughs> than basically battening down the emotional hatches kind of thing and being prepared to be for the onslaught of you didn't do this so this is wrong with the city yeah. and this and there's some legitimate frustration out there on many topics right and so i think it was uh it was kind of nice to see the positives of thank yous uh, versus but you didn't do this enough Anyways, yeah <laughs> well and do you no one's immune to it but you probably read the social media posts and and everything else over the course of your term yeah i chose to engage on social media more than any other counselor except for perhaps loyal when he joined i mean we've gotten a position where a lot of our politicians quit social media um maybe until an election season kind of thing but social media is um it's great i actually i'm a huge ambassador of open government i think we should give our our citizens information i think if you're giving me the gift of being elected i should take that knowledge and insight and pass it on to you as much as possible so that you get the benefit of being that connection point from me to the community and i've loved social media and we got to a place where the the antagonists in my social media feeds were like where uh, I was defended by those on the page. Which is nice. So it's got to a good place. Not all the politicians get that. I know that, as I've seen, um, how people have treated, for example, Tracy Gray as a counselor, and then how I was treated in the same, even from the same person with an email. Um, our female politicians get a lot more disrespect, and there is increasingly a lot more people willing to be extremely disrespectful with no consideration of the human on their side on social media. And so that's about 5%, 10%. So I never blocked anybody for like six years. The last years I was like, look, if you're going to be rude, just you're being blocked. Like this is, this is my time. This is my gift to you kind of thing is to connection back. 
if you really want to be a jerk about it, then I'm going to block you from the page, which I never did. And so I spent a lot of time reading social media, less on news articles kind of thing, social media sites, mostly on mine. I think most politicians, and most, maybe people don't know this, is they focus on their community that, frankly, voted for them and is part of their community. Like, so I feel like families, so I would, I would check, like tr- you're trying to be engaged with your community that helped you get in. And people are like, oh, it's not how it is. Well, it is partly that. You are going to connect with your community. And each of us in council right now have a different community, so we bring that to the table. So I would really want my comments that I say at council to represent the community of people that I think voted me on or that they wanted me to represent around that table. So social media comments are great for that because you get a little bit of public sentiment in every single one. Even if it's the pissed off guy that's like, you suck. <laughs> like, like it doesn't matter. It's just an engaged audience helps you understand where the community is at because they're, they're venting either around the water cooler or to their friends or at a beer or to council or a public hearing. So let's get that information. What are the problems we have? And I think we all know the problems. It's not a surprise. But are we taking enough action? Maybe not. So over the course um, of your career as a counselor, there, there's probably some moments you're you're proudest of, and let's let's share some of those stories of of those moments when you know it just things worked out. Because the, the one thing I keep reiterating on the show is the fact that after talking to a number of people from City Hall in various positions, there's sometimes you're voting between. Uh, two less evil options. Right. <laughs> like it's never good versus evil. Sometimes right. it's just this one has less flies on it than this one does. Right. And and so w- were there some moments though where you were able to feel like, wow, we, we really moved the needle on this particular subject? I'll give you one good example. So um, year three of my political life, um, we did an assessment of how many parks we have in Kelowna that are funded. And we realized we had about a $100 million deficit in park development. So we were getting all these complaints, emails about, hey, these parks isn't built in my neighborhood. I moved here 10 years ago. I'm like, oh, that's a reasonable complaint. Oh, I'm getting it from that one too and that one too. And so we were basically spending a million, but we had a $100 million gap. So you're like, well, 100 years sounds like a terrible amount of time to uh, build out those parks. And so then we went through options of how to fund them kind of thing. And we went with the Parks DCC. Um, Loved by the public, uh, concerns from the developers going, hey, you, if you really want affordable housing, then is this really going to help? As prices are going up 20% per year, regardless what the costs are to build the home. And so we implemented that with much concerns kind of thing from the development community, but lots of benefit for the public and the development community, frankly. Uh, so we've got like, you know, the Pendozi Waterfront Park, we got next to, we basically got $10 million a year now to spend. So we took $100 million that was going to take 100 years down to 10 years to kind of catch up. And we're going to see that impact for decades to come. Like, so a new big park will be opened every year, which was not the case before. Yeah, it's an interesting subject, and I'm glad you brought it up because, you know, of course, the the UDI board is probably not going to be excited about that. But the understanding, but not excited, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it. Again, it goes back to that. Sometimes different topics have less flies on them, I guess, so to speak. And uh, and was that a I guess that would be another one of those tough decisions you have to make. So Luke Stack has the option to have voted on this twice. So 2009, right after the crash, they were going to bring this in. And the council was like, well, we, and the pushback was, we can't. We just, the whole industry just collapsed. How, how dare you add another fee? Sure. Logical fee makes sense for a gap. But how can you guys? Like, it's going to be so unaffordable. So he's like, I wish we'd done it then. Like, we should have just pushed back. So he said, all, he's like, we should have done it 10 years ago and been caught up by now but we're not. And so now we're going to implement it 2018, 19, 
10 years after I first voted on it, but now I've got the money. So I think the insight around the table is sometimes helpful with that to go, yeah, it is some pushback, but we had that conversation 10 years ago and chose to go a different direction and the deficit grew and the housing prices doubled. So there was no loss or there was no gain of affordability. We realized that people move here for quality of life. So, so I think, yeah, just lots of insight from different people that have been either city managers that have been around for 30 years or counselors that help you get to those point in making the decisions. So let's talk a bit about tenure and, and, and we'll get to uh, different people on, on council that you felt an affinity to. I'm sure all the council, but there's, there's some <laughs> What other. do you mean? <laughs> but, but is there, uh, you know, whenever it was actually my father who was an ex-city manager and, and he worked in Alberta in different, different parts in, in council as well as city manager. And uh, he said, there's, a, there's an expiry date. On, on most, or, or they should have. Like, he, he was never an advocate for, six, well, 20, 20 year counselors right. and that kind of thing. He just said, at some point, you need a fresh voice, you need a fresh, you know, uh, just different perspectives around the table makes yeah. makes the whole thing stronger. So, in, in your eyes, is there, a, you know, if you were to pick a perfect amount of time for a council, and, and again, energy level too, because right. it, it takes a lot out of you. Is there a, a term that you would you would suggest as somebody who's outgoing? Well, I just quit after two, so it seems like why would I not promote the <laughs> quit after two vibe? But no, no, I think I think what you what I'd rather say is there is a mix on council and what you really want. Every every citizen, every councilor wants a balanced voice and perspective. Uh, even as going to the next election, I I worry that we will have less of a balanced, a less diverse voice on council. And I think a few terms is what I would say. I think once you get past three, it kind of becomes questionable, but it also becomes routine. And then you also become the wise person on council. So I think you need a couple long timers on council to balance out. Because if you had all new council, that's not good. Like I think, uh, yeah, three councillors when I joined were new the first time. It was like I was still talking the first term, but I would say talking less effectively or talking less wisely, I would say. <laughs> Somebody told me I was a little obnoxious when I first started. So uh, recently, so it's like, you don't understand how the system works. Like, I really don't think anybody should ever go from not being on council to go for mayor uh, because you lack that understanding of how the government structure works, which I would say is needed. But I, I don't think you can put a timeline, but I think looking at the collective, you want a balance of some wise counselors that have been around for a while and then some new energy, fresh energy quite often. So I do think they're going to get some fresh energy this next term in Kelowna. So you've you talked a bit about uh, you know the process and and I think that's true for a lot of people because I talked to uh, to Brad Seben after he okay. first started on, and he said, yeah yeah like <laughs> the first few meetings you're, you're just trying to get your bearings, yeah. like where where do I fit in this in huge machine, and and what is where can I be most effective? So I think you know, what you say is, is probably true is that probably after the first year is really when you become boots on the ground and, and able to really navigate some of the waters of city hall, because again, you have to know your role within the city, your role with the city manager and your role with your constituents, which Absolutely, is, yeah. which is huge. And, and so you're serving a lot of different masters, it seems. Yeah, so you're always pulled in different directions. So I was about three months on council, and I'm like, wow, I'm doing what everybody said. I'm reading the reports word for word kind of thing. I'm like, I was checking every box in my head. And then I looked up, and I was like, I have totally forgot the public. Like, I was so focused on doing the job that people had sent me in to do. But I was like, no, 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 I'm not here just to 
read the reports and and give my opinion at council and and interact with their counselors, I'm like, I need to be out there with the public so I can take their feedback and add it in because maybe the city staff don't have that thought right now. And so maybe it's like, maybe we need to have like more public uh, comment on this thing. And so even just from that perspective, the reports are very complicated. And then you also learn where's your influence. Like understanding where your influence is is very key. You give votes, but you also have comments. You can also write a letter to the editor, which nobody ever does. You can actually do a post on social media. So I would say I nudge things a few times by posting on social media. Guaranteed, I can tell you city staff read my social media posts. I think there's actually even a, 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 a communications person hired to scan counselors' social media posts to see what they were saying and then send a report back to the city manager for Ron. It's like, so like there's, because they're protecting their brand too. It's like, what's a counselor saying on their social media about the city that they represent? Are they really representing them? So I found actually for me, like the nudge was like, oh, actually my social media page is one of my main points of influence, right? And so I found I could make change to that. And then it's like, okay, there's a report coming. So they come to you the first time. It's just, it's called for information. What, it's not just for information. It's to gather your comments from your counselors so they can finesse the report plus some, let's say, UDI or public feedback and come back for a vote. So it's using those moments to give your commentary strategically. And then I find this beautiful little thing that happens. If you walk into the meeting without an agenda and you say a good idea and it resonates with your council colleagues, You've now just had the most powerful moment you'll have that week. And it's, and it, but it needs to resonate. You can go in sometimes like, oh, this needs to happen. This needs to happen. If you go in too harsh, you are never going to get the consensus and buy-in from your other colleagues. But if you lob your idea lightly with no, no need to hold on to it tightly and other people grab a hold of it, it now becomes the collective idea. And so I use the words quite a lot, rest in the nine. So there's a couple of reports that really stressed me out in camera. Terrible reports, very concerning, didn't like them. I won't go into the topic. At the end of the day, Councillor Adam comes up and the councillor in the private meeting said, that would really concern me. And I was like, oh, that really concerned me too. And then we went to a big conversation because the nine had all the same concerns. And so then we passed motions and then we did took action and then it was became better within three months. I didn't have to take that on as myself. I have a group of people that if they're also concerned, they'll bring it up. If it's totally off and it's not really working well, it will be fixed within the nine people. When I first started, I thought it was all about me. <laughs> surprise, surprise. It's like, they're like, oh, no, there's a whole system. So if I just get a lot of my concern, hey, guys, I'm concerned about this. Nobody else buys it? Okay, done. And then politicians also move on quickly from ideas because that's what works. If you hold too tightly to your ideas you'll be a really frustrated counselor and really stressed out counselor. So I think just allowing the system to work the way it should is the best way to do counsel. And you have to learn that place. And that takes a little while to learn. It's interesting you brought up that, that consensus point. Cause I think, you know, and if you, if you're going to be a skilled politician, um, you have to be able to bring and curry favor in order to bring something right. to light or, or to move it forward. And, and uh, when I was talking to, uh, Doug Gilchrist, uh, the other day, we talked a bit about he has to manage up and manage down. He does, yeah. And he knows that very well. Um, did you find during your, your tenure that, uh, you know, to curry favor with, let's face it, 
you're each one separate individual with different experience, different legacy, and and probably different mandates and platforms. Yeah, that it and was constituents that would vote for them, right? Different people, yeah. which is which is part of why we have council. Yeah, is is to to offer a voice to different parts of the city. But was it difficult at times to to curry favor with this council, not not another council, but this council? Was it was it tougher to bring everybody together, or do you think everybody kind of kind of fell in into the same thought process on different issues? I think once we got mature enough, and that was probably me talking about me. <laughs> once I got mature enough, and we, there a few of us got there to understand that the thing we're most passionate about is the thing we need to be light around the table about. If I'm the arts and culture guy, I'm the least effective arts and culture advocate around that table. Sure. It's weird thought, but it's actually, it's not your, I, but I can be highly effective in every other topic if I can, and I gotta say it again, it's not curry favor, it's if I can uh, gather people who also think the idea matches their intent. So it's like, could be, let's go break out West. Like at one point I was like, break out West was coming. It's like, oh, is this going to be a big debate? And I had all my strategic reasons to support it. And I was like, I am ready. Like guns loaded, reports, EDC, like economic impact. And I was just quiet for the first minute. And then Councillor Stack's like, oh, it's going to be a great event. Can't wait to have it. And Gail said, oh, it's going to be a great event. Can't wait to have it. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's going to be a great event. Can't wait to have it. So it's like, if it's the right thing, it will actually get that consensus. And if it's tension, like... You know, we've had other festivals struggle kind of thing and, and have some negative impacts in the community. Well, there should be tension around the table on the topic, right? And and so... It's policing and safety and all of those. Right, like, yeah. if there's tension in the community, it should also come out around the table. If there's, um, you know, homelessness in, on Leon and it's an encampment, there should be intense discussions publicly and privately around the council table on that topic to go, what the heck? Like, that's, like, wild. And then it's also not... It's operational. It's not council, but it's like, okay, what do we need to fund? Okay, well, maybe it comes as a budget request. Hey, we need to fire, hire 10 more RCMP. I remember last election, I, I put all hire six RCMP over the term. <laughs> it was like, that was a big move, I thought. We've hired like 45 this term. Like, it's like, so I guess, could I, the thing is, go in light, go in with insight, go in with community feedback. And if you have the right council, then the right ideas will land. And if your council represents the community, it will go forward. So I think you also don't realize it is the relationships and friendships around the table that you can work on in between the moments of the meeting, right? Who's going to bring, like one council brought a birthday cake for somebody. Well, I got to be honest with you, that's genuine. It's just like office dynamics, right? Somebody takes enough time to care, it's just care. And people appreciate being cared and loved, right? So there's relationships being built. Like, okay, I'll speak very frankly. I was like, I didn't understand Maxine DeHart whatsoever when I joined council. I can honestly say I love Maxine DeHart. Yeah. I love supporting her drive throughs I love she. It's a different style. It took me a while to get there because I was also the new guy. She's like, who's this young kid? <laughs> He's this young whippersnapper. Like, <laughs> and I'm a young kid in her mind always. And so it takes a while to understand your relationship with people, right? But I think there's a genuine connection with all of our counselors right now. And that's what you want. We don't have the animosity around the table. Other counselors have that quite heavily and it's fractious and it's not good and it's negative. So we don't have that. I really hope that Kelowna doesn't have that in the coming years. We've had that in the past. And so I just think, uh, yeah, I think walking in lightly, but have your idea and your insight and your research and your public comment and let's see what happens around the table. So there, you know, you had two different city managers yeah. and you had Ramatusi and you had, you have Doug Gilchrist. Yeah. Um, 
and and as that is the only employee for the council, um, what was your I, I mean, we don't want to go into uh, the fact that Ron made a better thin crust pizza or anything, but is was there a a big difference in style? Did you find, or are they much the same? So I think imagine people at the beginning of their career. Imagine people at the end of their career. Who has the most energy? Was the person at the beginning of their career? So I think the difference is. I wish I'd had a chance to work with Ron years and years and years ago, right? Because I caught Ron right at the tail end of his career. And what I see with Doug is, like, basically we're catching a guy for the city manager role at the beginning of his career. So I think for me it's uh, the difference of uh, Walter Gray as mayor to Colin Bazran as mayor, right? So you have a different style. You have more wisdom perhaps, right? And But also, you know, the pace maybe at one pace kind of thing. So what I found was, like, I've loved having – uh, a fresh city manager come in kind of thing. So I think I found the difference is I think it's just I caught them in different stages of their career. And so I would, I would, uh, I would describe Ron privately as uh, you, you have the, I've ever seen Game of Thrones when there's the, uh, there's the old soldiers. He sits back and all the guys are fighting. But if, if he picks up his sword, he can slay the dragon and nobody else can. It's just a matter of, I was like, ah, let's let the other guys try first and then I'll go slay the dragon. So the guy can slay the dragon. It's like, yeah, well, let these guys, these guys need a chance to get there. So I feel like when I was working with Ron, I felt like I was working the gladiator. That's like, okay, he's like, he's just watching, like he can slay that dragon, but like, ah, not today. I'll do that tomorrow. Right. And so I, what I found was like, and there's a wisdom to that by holding back a bit. Right. And so what I love is just seeing the, the speed at which um, uh, Doug is flying all the different ideas he's got from the city. But I also love the wisdom of holding back a bit and going, nope, going to hold back. And then, but I can, but I'm not going to yet. So yeah, so just different styles, right? Okay, so we have a municipal election coming up, of all things. We sure do. <laughs> um, Are you running? <laughs> no, no I'm, I'm good, thanks. Okay, just checking. But, but a lot of the things you said off the top resonated with me because I've, I've taught at the college in the Okanagan School of Business. And, uh, you know, I get notes from students just saying, hey, prof, I need help with this or help with that. And it, it got to be, after I was done my spring term, I knew when an email came in and I saw it flagged as a student, I would just, i take a big sigh. And, and I knew that's not the right attitude to have. If you're trying to help and, and shape people's minds and, and really move them forward, that's not the right attitude. So I just decided, okay, I'm going to take the fall off and just, you know, recharge and, and figure this out. Because I, I think too, if, you're, if your mindset is, oh, somebody else is calling about that, that park or the water line or Parkinson or whatever it is, you know, if, if you're not ready to, to dive in, then, yeah, it's probably time to transition out or, or what have you. And that's what I felt as, a, as somebody teaching at the college. I had a responsibility to the college, to the students, and, and to the faculty to go, I'm in this. Like, I, I want to I do well. So I think... What you say about just being in the moment and, and being able to push things forward and have that energy level is right. going to be key. With that election coming along, is there any advice you would give to people putting their hat into the ring? Well, there's lots of advice. The first thing is just to be humble because we're all, you're all basically asked in an election to be, oh, I need my idea and this is what's wrong and this is what's right. It's like maybe accept that there is some things going right in the community. And the public's looking maybe for the negatives, but it's allowed to be a positive campaign. What I loved last election was Loyal's campaign was positive. He's a guy to go into council. So I would give them advice to go, you can rant if you want, but ranting is only going to get you so far. Uh, it is a good, well-run city that has some issues. 
And if you really want to join ranting, I don't think you should be on call council. If you're adding some insight and you see you can see the positives, acknowledge them, and maybe point out some negatives, I think you're in a much better place to be the person that people elect. So I would just say, have your opinion. But if it's all negative, maybe check and go, oh, actually, the city's actually running pretty well. Like, unemployment's pretty good. House has gone up. People are struggling to find workers because of this, but they've got lots of projects. So if all these indicators, and we're this, was the second nice city last week that was announced, it's like, if these are the indicators and our waterfront's looking good and we've got, you know, we fixed the scooter thing, right? They got a little better, a little better. You know, no complaints this year about scooters. But so just pause and go, I have my ideas but their ideas are going to work with eight or nine people and the city team and the public to move forward. And I think just hold your ideas lighter than, than you feel like you have to, because you might be able to rant with your friends and they might agree with you, but maybe they're just not as insightful as people that have done it for eight years or four years and maybe meet with them and talk to them. So I think go in, go in with passion, but I don't think I was as humble as I should have been when I started. So maybe if I can save somebody some, uh, Hey, you were a bit obnoxious when you started. Uh, That would be kind of good to pass along. But it's so true, though, when I talk about the city budget, um, I think it was Ron who said, uh, Ramatusi said, you know, within a city budget, there's actually not a ton of wiggle room. Like people think that there's this massive swings, but you got to pay for roads. You got to pay for, you know, police, fire, you know, all, all this stuff. And he said, when you do all the essentials, there's actually not a ton of, you know, added little, like it's not huge gaps Which in the budget. Which is why council debates these small little things because you're not going to debate if the city manager's coming to you with a police chief and you got crime high, you're like, hey, we need 12 units. RCMP is going to cost $1.5 million. Like, I can't disagree with that. Therefore, that's $1.5 million spent. And it's like, hey, we're going to build this park, $5 million. Yeah, the public one parks. Okay, there we go. So there is very little. Once you've got the big picture philosophies, that's why you see council debating over $30,000 because the $1.5 million is actually easy. The $100 million for the water project with $70 million of grants and some fees increased in the East Kelowna, that's actually the big picture philosophy. And that's not easy, but that's in. And so it just it comes down to the smaller items. I, for me, I feel like pretty proud of the fact that almost each year we raised our culture budget by at least $30,000 every year for the last eight years. It's not mega, but for me, that was the win. That's one of the biggest wins I've had personally as a counselor is that the city budget increased $30,000 for culture every year. It wasn't before. It may not afterwards, but I feel like I was able to nudge that along and going, hey, do we have some public art increase in there? Hey, do we have an increase for the symphony if they're going to professional development? Like, so that was one of my, and the thing I cared about the most, that was the small nudge. It, it wasn't, and I cared about all the other stuff too, but, you know, I'd say the wage they paid me went up. It was the same wage that kind of went increased for arts and culture, and that was my win on the topic I thought I was running for. Over the course, uh, what was the hardest issue? What was the toughest one that, that, you know, really it seemed to engage a lot of the public? Easily be supportive housing. I mean, my joke to the minister as I was in Victoria was like, okay, so my wife signed this petition against city council that I'm on, so I'm supposed to go home, and uh, you're making my home life pretty tough here because uh, we had one option given to us, which was supportive housing in the community. We agreed that it's not 100% perfect and foolproof, but it was the option on the table. Take it or leave it. Some communities, Penticton, have chosen to not take it. Some communities, Kelowna, have chosen to take it. We're now advocating for complex care, but I would say how much my family was harassed personally, brought in front of the school in grade five by a teacher to defend my vote in council, my daughter, that's not acceptable. Do I call the teacher on it? No. Do I leave it there? So I would say the tension that was caused year one of this term basically solidified the fact I'm not running. 
I just I lost my patience. I lost uh, my ability to respond to people kindly. Would I have people pick up the phone and just yell for no reason? So the most tense was definitely supportive housing. And it's probably the reason why deciding was actually an easier decision because uh, it was, and it was a good conversation. There was 15,000 people that signed a petition, including my wife, against counsel. It's kind of awkward, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, so I'd say, but it's not a bad thing. It's an honest, genuine debate within households, amongst counsel, in the prov- provincial level. So we've got it. Um, we're going to need a lot more of it. The, the, the public should know, like, we're going to have, like, the debate today on front was like, oh, opposition against a shelter. Yes. The topic that will be very tough to deal with based on lack of investment by the federal government starting 20 years ago. They used to invest $5 billion on housing like the Kiwanis Towers. They stopped doing that 20 years ago. We are now paying the price at the municipal street level of cities, and the tension comes out to councillors and mayors. It doesn't come out to the federal government. Even now, there's very little investment coming from the federal government for housing. Uh, Indigenous housing, I've heard the Minister of Housing uh, provincially complain they're willing to come to the table from Indigenous housing, and they're not getting any funding. There is a gap at the federal level for housing that we will not be able to fix at the municipal level. And that tension is going to cause unaffordability, homelessness issues, and it's going to be, that is the most intense issue. And it will continue. It will get worse. We are going to struggle, and we need the federal government to step up. Each council has its own uh, maybe narrative or legacy, whatever you want to call it. Right. And, uh, and Doug said to me that, you know, I think the next council is really going to look at transportation. Like they're going to start looking at how to move people around the city and not, and not because this council didn't care about it. It's because it's going to be a bigger issue as we grow as quick as we have. What, what do you think this council, when, when people look back at this chapter, what, what did they stand, you know, what did they stand for? What did they push forward? What was their, their mandate, so to speak? If you were to look at the city and maybe some of the bigger issues that they tackled, what are people going to say about this council? I really think this council of the last two terms has really debated where we should have housing. It's part of the transportation conversation, but really I think the focus was on where to put housing. There is a transportation master plan that's been approved. The transportation master plan is only funded about a quarter of what we want it to be. That's why transportation is going to be a conversation moving forward. We've kind of decided where the people should live. That may change. There is a chance that, you know, turning down the three large subdivisions on the outskirts of town may be looked at in the future as a, as, a, as a wrong decision. This council chose to focus on urban, suburban de- urban development in our town centers. Towers are less of a concern. Mid-rises are less of a concern. Um, and that, I think, happened over the last two terms. People are accepting density as a good strategic plan for municipalities in, in Kelowna. And I think that's one of the biggest wins we've got is housing in the core of the community, people understand it. Is there, was there somebody on the table, and, and this is going off of what you just said about the housing, was there somebody else that you felt saw that as high a priority as you did? Like when you looked around the table, uh, was there anybody that you thought, okay? Well, the mayor, so what I'd say is I kind of ran for council the first time because I thought Colin might lose, <laughs> but he went, he won. I was proved wrong. I'm very appreciative, but I didn't see, my, didn't see another voice around that table that would have represented young families. Now, we had voices, uh, Brad, Tracy, myself, uh, loyal, like young professionals like loyal kind of thing. So young families trying to live in Kelowna um, are represented well on that table. And that's kind of those who push for housing understand that my kids or my grandkids 
need to find a place to live here. And so I think, uh, yeah, I've really appreciated Colin's advocacy on housing um, because, yeah, I think, you know, when it came down to it, sometimes it would be sometimes a two or three of us kind of thing, maybe Gail as well in there, that would be the foundational votes for housing. Uh, this last Tuesday was a pretty frustrating meeting. Uh, it was a vote I lost eight to one for housing. There's reasons for it, and there's reason why it represented the community at the time. Um, and the only one that went ahead was the one that had no opposition from the public. And there is going to be a lot of tension with infill housing, like within our urban centers, like especially from like not the mid-rise stuff, but the single family to like three-story stuff is going to be the tension of the next term. And so people should be ready for that. And, and but I, I mean, we're running out of land. So. Yeah, but those live here get the opportunity to give comments. No, right. At a yeah, public yeah. hearing, you never hear the people that are going to move into that site. And I always found that was the invisible voice that motivated me at every council meeting was like when people voted for me for housing, they're voting for the place that will be filled with somebody and what would their opinion be at the public hearing. And I had a pretty intense interview with CBC one time, just go like, they're like, you can't do that, you got to represent. I'm like, ah, it's, it's tension, but I'm not just representing the people right in front of me at a public hearing. I'm representing the people that will move in there. And I think there's very few take that mindset as strongly as I did. And so I'm curious to see what happens in the next term. But like really, it, you have to picture who is going to live there and what would they say at the public hearing. Because the neighbors that are there are the ones given most of the comment. Right. And, and so in their estimation, this is the largest issue for them is, it is. who is there? Yeah. Which is why there should be public comment. But we've also removed a lot of the public hearings with our new OCP and zoning bylaw. I think the problem is going to make some epic changes that I don't know what they are. I think it's going to remove a lot of our roadblocks that we can provide at municipalities. They're going to remove them in the next six months to a year based on the leadership that uh, David Eby's talked about, alluded to, not given details on, but we're going to lose some authority at municipalities based on examples such as Penticton. That, yeah, and that actually is, is that creating ripples through City Hall? It's creating ripples provincially, which will change every municipality in BC is my belief. And again, no details. There's nothing I've heard privately or whatever. I just know that there will be some epic change and people are not ready for it. And they're going to remove authority for us to have that because those commentary have been very effective, too effective. So in your, in your eyes, are you, what side of the fence would you be on as far as the removal? Housing, 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 get, get, get housing going. Supply needs to be as high as possible. Right. And the people who move into those housing units need to be considered equal to the commentary you're hearing right there. And that's not how it works. I got to say, thanks so much for spending the time with me, Mr. That's been a gift. Maybe my last interview. I like it. Right here with Rick. Last interview as a politician. Could be happening right here. Well, no, it was It was just, uh, it, it is fun. And, and, and again, just from my own perspective, it's interesting to get uh, insight because, you know, we're in a pivotal time for Kelowna. Um, I care deeply about the community, as do you. And I think, you know, when you when you have that, when you have that kind of caring and it, it comes through, uh, I'm just appreciative that you did throw your hat in the ring. So thanks, yeah. thanks again from, uh, Thank you. from just one guy, but probably from the city of Kelowna. That's good. I'm going to miss it, but uh, hey, the city will be still here in 10 years if my kids and wife will meet out of the house more. <laughs> Thanks, Rick.